Hey guys, welcome back to Keeping It OD Podcast and happy Monday. Today we have another episode in the Dana Life series and today's topic is practicing optometry in Canada. My guest today is Dr. John Iskander. He graduated from Nova Southeastern in 2018 before he returned back home to Toronto, Ontario, Canada to practice in a corporate side-by-side. Dr. Iskander, thank you so much for being my guest today. How are you doing? Good. So um, just so we can let the listeners know, um, Dr. Skander is a Canadian optometrist. He was um, trained in the U.S. He graduated from Nova. Um, so he's going to let us know um, all about practicing in Canada and the differences um, with practicing in the U.S. So just like every episode, we're breaking it up into three segments. The first segment is about his pre-optometry journey. The second segment is about optometry school. And the last segment will be work-life questions. So the first question in our first segment, um, straight to the basics, when did you fall in love with optometry? Was it a specific experience or is it still an ongoing realization? So I think it's both. Right, because I think as you progress in your career, right, you end up, so long as that's the career that you wanted to do, right, you end up liking it more, the more cases you see, um, the more you do things, right, you end up liking uh, what you do a little bit more. But my first experience with it was when I was a kid, I actually went to the eye doctor at like, for the first time at like eight years old. Um, and they dilated my eyes and then they looked at the back of my left eye and they're like, Hey, you have something called a choroidal nevus in your eye, which is like a big, not a big, but like a birthmark in your eye, essentially, or a freckle in your eye. Um, and so I was like, wait, what you could get freckles in the eye. And that was like my very first exposure to all this stuff. Um, and I think that was like the seed to the whole thing. Um, fast track years later, uh, my parents own a pharmacy. And so for years I was like, you know, I'll probably have to go into pharmacy. That was definitely like pushed on me and stuff. But as a kid, I'm like, this isn't really my thing. I don't really want to do this. Um, and then getting into like college, I was like, maybe it's a good idea to start looking at other careers. And so that circled back into the whole optometry thing again, um, because I was going every year just to get that freckle looked at. Um, and then I finally was like, Hey, how about we actually look into this after I shadowed like a whole bunch of different things and realized, Hey, this really does fit like my personality. Um, it is a great career. And so I went with it. Yeah, you're right. Um, did that affect your vision at all? Just out of curiosity? No, absolutely not. Like if I never went to the eye doctor, uh, like as long as nothing bad happened, I probably would have never known. Oh, wow. Right. Um, so where did you earn your bachelor's degree? I did not. So I went to Nova. Um, so eventually I got the bachelor's from Nova, mm-hmm. right? Because Nova gives you that opportunity to, to get like a bachelor's in vision science while you're doing optometry school. Um, but I just went and applied for my undergrad. So after the three-year mark. Gotcha. Well, that's really interesting because I'm pretty sure a lot of listeners are still, you know, in your in their junior year right now um, when they're thinking about applying or considering optometry. So that's a really good point that you brought up. You do not have to have a bachelor's degree to get into optometry school. You just have to have your prerequisites, correct? 
depends on the school. So like there are some schools that require that you get a bachelor's degree, but where I went, like Nova specifically did not need you to do that. They needed you to do, I think it was 90 credits in total and they're, they're prereqs. Awesome. Gotcha. So during, but you did spend, you know, a significant amount in undergrad, correct? Yeah. I actually ended up doing four years anyway. Okay. I just never finished up my degree because I switched into a different program. Gotcha. Did you major in something um, like science related and that did that help you in the transition? Would you recommend it per se? So I started off uh, doing biology, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then, right, biology uh, major. And so after like, um, let's call it eight to 10 months, I'm like, let's kind of do psychology because I honestly wasn't really exposed to it at all in high school. And then I went into my first like um, intro to psychology class and I was like, okay, this is wicked, right? I love this stuff. Um, I'd rather major in this. And then doing that flip cost me a year. Um, and so I ended up doing four years and 120 credits anyway, but I didn't end up finishing my bachelor's at all. No, but, but that's really good because um, that didn't really affect your chances of getting into optometry school and that did not, you know, deter on your application or anything, correct? No, I don't think so. And if anything, I think it showed more of like, uh, you're willing to follow your passions, right? And willing to lose a year to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay, right? A lot of the time, like um, when you're an undergrad, you kind of look into how long things are going to take. And I think that's kind of the wrong way to look at things. Right. Of course, it's important to know how long things take, but right, the journey is way more important than like the destination. So, nope. Yeah. Um, so, what were you involved with during um, your time in undergrad? Um, so, to be honest, like in undergrad specifically, I think it was mostly like debate clubs. I wasn't highly involved in school stuff, but I was really involved in like community stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I was doing a lot of community service, like in the church and outside of my church, um, which was just part of my personality in general. Like I do like helping people, um, especially people who have less than, <clears throat> sorry, have less than what they need. Um, and so I think that's, kind of like one of the factors that pushed me into healthcare in general. Um, and I think it's important that anybody in healthcare has that like compassionate personality for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And um, between shadowing and volunteering, um, which of those things you think helped you the most in preparation for optometry school? I, I honestly think, I honestly think all of them had their benefits. Right, like I think it's the conglomerate of everything that helped me. Gotcha. If that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, no, it did. Um, so we're coming on to our last question of the first segment here. And this one's just very broad um, and you can go into as much or as little detail. I know this was a little while back, um, but how did you go about prepping for taking the OET and um, your interviews? And do you have any tips um, that you'd like to share? Absolutely. Um, so you're going to find like, if, if your listeners are um, looking into some OAT stuff, you're going to find a whole bunch of stuff online. What I ended up doing was um, a whole bunch of 
um, questions. So I bought the OAT destroyer, mm-hmm. which is like, I think it was like three or four sets of books and it was just questions. Yeah. Um, and I also had the Kaplan book. So I spent my time studying from the Kaplan book and then I split up that OAT destroyer into the set of questions that the actual test was. And so I studied for about three months and in the last month I would wake up every morning and do a test at the same exact time that my actual OAT was gonna be. So I'd be up at 7.30, um, by 8 a.m. I'm already on my computer doing the test. And I think simulating that environment was the most important thing for me, right? Um, getting the practice of how things are going to be so that when you're in the moment, it's not foreign. Um, that would be my best advice for sure. Um, the other thing would be do your best to try to figure out exactly how you learn and use that to your advantage, right? Whether you're like a reader, right? You prefer to take notes maybe, or um, you prefer to listen to lectures um, and take notes that way. Or if you rather see it visually and listen to it and take notes, or if you just need to listen and that's it, whatever the case may be, right? Use that to your advantage for sure. Yeah, and those are good habits to have to to kind of prepare you um, transition to grad school, um, just knowing your learning styles and how you can absorb the material more efficiently. Um, that's definitely something that you need to kind of pick up early on so that you don't struggle in the transition for sure. Right, absolutely. Um, for interviews, I would say um, just find a whole bunch of like questions that you could find online for different like school interviews and just answer that truthfully, right? And don't try to like fake who you are, right? Because the whole point of the interview is to try to figure out who this person is. They already know, right, your scores. They already know your community service stuff. They have your letters of recommendations. The whole point here is to try to figure out who this person is, right? Via like a 20 or 30 minute chat, whatever the case may be. And so, right, they're going to ask you some really basic questions for the most part, unless there's something glaring on your application. Um, And, right, just answer them truthfully and just be yourself. That's probably the biggest thing that you can do. Yep. So we are um, transitioning over to the optometry school related questions. So you're from Canada. um, So what made you choose Nova? other than any other school? Did you apply to other schools or were you set on NOVA um, when you were right. um, So I don't, I don't know if you know this, but there's only two schools in Canada for optometry school, mm-hmm. right? One of them being exclusively in French. Okay. So unless you speak French, you have one option in the whole country. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes super competitive, obviously, for that reason, if you're gonna apply like against everybody else in the country, right? It's like really hard to get into. And so you'll notice that a lot of Canadians end up going to the States for that reason. Um, And so I applied to a whole bunch of schools in the States uh, when it became really difficult to get into my Canada. And I did a few interviews and I ended up at the one in Florida. And I remember, this is pretty funny. I remember when I was uh, interviewing right somebody that was talking to us about the uh school came and said hey wherever you go right you're gonna end up getting your degree mm-hmm. why wouldn't you want to live in florida for four years and so that just like resonated with me i'm like yeah that sounds great actually 
<laughs> so I figured, yeah, four years in Florida, right? Sunny weather. I've been in Canada like my whole life. So, right, it's been cold in the winter, right? It'd be cool to right, have a beach right beside me 10, 15 minutes away whenever I need it. Um, so I figured might as well go for it. Yeah, I think it's also important to remember that your environment um, is a big part of your experience in optometry school, and it's going to affect your performance overall. If you're in a place where you're sad all the time and you're not, you know, thriving and, you know, enjoying your time there, um, you're not going to do as well or, you know, you're not at your highest potential. So. Right, absolutely. So the next question is usually, you know, transition from undergrad to optometry school, but to you, it's also tra the transition um, from Canada to the U.S. Um, so what was the transition like? What were some things that you wish you'd known sooner? Um, also for all the Canadian listeners, um, what are some things that kind of shocked you when you f first moved to Florida? Um, and also you can talk about the transition from like an undergrad course load to optometry school and how that was um, right. different. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that like kind of shocked me was um, my first year optics class. And so of course, curriculums differ across like states, I'm sure. Um, but the curriculum definitely differs between Canada and the states in that, like I was sitting in that class in optics one and optics two and it was like stuff that i had seen in high school and had already been tested on in high school and so like i just found it really funny that right there are certain classes where i've been exposed to the material a little bit sooner than you know my american classmates and then other classes where they've been exposed to material right way more than i have um and so that that like kind of shocked me of course like it's almost like we weren't on a level playing field even though we took the same classes just because there was a border, right, that divided us. Um, and I, I think eventually, like after that first year, we all ended up being on the same playing field, right? Because, right, at that point, like you're all in classes that you've, this is material you've never been exposed to before. But prior to that, right, I found that really interesting that like, you know, there are certain classes that they're better at and certain classes that we're better at just because of the nature of curriculums across countries and borders. So that was, that was cool. Um, I think the transition moving to the States, I mean, I, I personally liked it, right? Getting, right, going out of your comfort zone a little bit, um, leaving, right, where you've been your whole life to go somewhere else, um, somewhere that's completely different. Toronto's nothing like Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, like there's, they're not similar at all. Um, and so I personally like, like the change. And I think it's really important that, right, in like those years that you go, outside of your comfort zone a little bit for sure. Um, curriculum wise, I mean, anybody that you ask, I'm sure is gonna tell you, hey, um, the curriculum's super rigorous. Like you're, this, it's not like an easy program by any means, but um, you just have to time manage, right? That's probably the biggest thing here. Um, making sure that you spend your time, like the allocated amount of time that you need for every course and making sure that you're doing other things outside of school, right? That's one of the biggest things. Um, getting like uh, other activities in so that, you know, your mental health is great as well because it is a really difficult program and right, it's gonna take a lot of time from you for sure. Absolutely, and you kind of beat me to it uh, with, you know, the time management and prioritizing your mental health. 
Um, so throughout your time in optometry school, what are some study habits that you think helped you get through um, school that you'd like to share? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm more of a reader um, learner, like in the sense that I prefer to like see words and write down my own notes based on that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I knew that going in from my time studying the OAT, which you had mentioned before, right? That's what makes it like really um, crucial because you actually spend the time prior to actually learn how to study so that when you go in, you're good to go, just like you said. Um, and so I right, um, would go to class, come back home um, and end up reading the notes and just writing down my own notes based on that. And I thought that was really helpful. Um, From like a student perspective, um, yeah. what are some resources that the school provided you? And did you think those helped you or were they nice to have? Or were you okay with or without them? I think the biggest resource that the school provides is classmates, for sure. Um, because everybody's on the same boat right? Like, yeah, it's super hard, but every, like, we had about 100, just over 100 students in our class, and, like, all 100 of you are doing exactly the same thing, so it's almost like, like, I guess it depends on your class, but my class wasn't really super competitive. Like, of course, there's the drive for competition, mm -hmm. but it wasn't like undergrad in any way, right? You're all in this together, and so um, there's a lot of, like, help from classmates and you're all studying the same material, right? You can always go to any classmate for the most part and you can ask them for help if you need it. Um, and I think that's the biggest resource, right? Knowing that, yeah, we all need to learn this material or material ourselves, but um, you have everybody around you here, right? That's, we're all working together almost. That's an answer that I've never heard before. Um, biggest resources, classmates, that's, very interesting. And it's definitely true. Um, I've heard a lot of people um, say really great things about group studying um, in grad school. Is that something that you kind of benefit from as well? Absolutely. Um, right. You divide up exactly what you guys need to study and you're all kind of studying the same material. So you end up finding people like in your four years, like hopefully early on that study similar to the way you do and you know put in around the same amount of hours so that you're about the exact same place every day so that you could actually discuss things near the end of the day um i had a roommate with me um dr brandon lou we used to study like literally almost every day with each other and we'd have like a board it was like so our apartment had like this really massive um marker board and we would just sit there and write stuff and um, study that way. And I thought that was really, really helpful for sure. Yeah. So um, early on in the conversation, you've mentioned how, you know, classmates were super competitive and you guys were kind of in the same boat. So when it came time, um, you know, during your fourth year to decide whether or not you wanted to go on and pursue a residency, did you end up doing one? And what are some pros and cons did you kind of look at um, in deciding of whether or not you think residency could be a good option for you? Right. Um, so I remember in the moment in my fourth year, I was like, 
you know, residency wouldn't be a bad idea. At first, I'm, at first I was like, I'm going to Canada. It's not really that helpful back home because you can't really specialize back, back in Canada, right? You're, um, the amount of things that you can do in the States is definitely a lot more than you can do here in Canada. And so like originally I was like, I don't think I really need this. And in the end, I didn't end up pursuing residency for that reason, but I definitely considered it um, after going to my rotations at the VA. Mm-hmm. So I went to the VA in Orlando um, for six months and I loved it there, right? Those six months um, probably really, really like sparked a whole new light to my like optometry career. I ended up loving like um, diseases and I really, really liked being at the VA. The only thing that really have, like hit me though was when I tried to apply for the VA, um, they said that you needed to be an American citizen. Uh-huh. And so of course, like being a student, right, from another country, uh, I'm definitely not. And so I couldn't apply to that. And that kind of like deterred me away from it completely because in my head, I'm like, this is really what I wanna do. If I can't really do this, I don't really wanna do something else that's just to do it. And so I ended up not doing one. Um, and I think that was the right decision for me just because I was heading back home. But I, I would definitely consider it if I ended up staying in the States for sure. Yeah, you brought up definitely a really good point. You know, it could be a really good option, but you just have to look at your own circumstances and see if that's going to be necessary or even beneficial for your um, certain instance. And for you, you just went back home and, you know, started working at an office and that was the best decision for you at that time. Right. All right, so we're gonna talk about your work life. Um, so you worked in both Buffalo, New York and Canada, correct? Yep. And you currently work in Toronto? Yep. Okay, so what does a typical day at the office look like? Are you the only optometrist there? What kind of cases do you see? Um, just give us a little glimpse of what a normal day at the office look like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we work, so I work at, in a mall in a Pearl Vision. Now in Canada, I think it differs a little bit in the States for mm-hmm. franchises. Um, we work in something called the side-by-side. And so the way it works is the optometry portion of the clinic is its own thing. And then the optical is its own thing, right? They're not kind of like one unit. So um, I work at the optometry portion of the clinic with three other doctors. Mm-hmm. Now we just rotate because we have three um, lanes, but essentially we have four doctors in total and we just rotate staff depending on days. Um, a regular day, honestly, can be anything. So um, you could go from just seeing like kids um, who have like, you know, maybe like a minor refractive error um, to maybe an adult who has like serious um, ocular disease. And so that's what makes like the job really interesting, right? Cause you're going in every day and you have no idea what your cases are. And so seeing new cases and right, having a team with you that can work together if you do get like a really interesting case, um, I thought was really amazing. And so, right, I definitely happy with uh, the job that I have. Awesome. Um, so 
with all the cases that you see on your day to day, what do you love most about what you do or what's a specific instance or case that you just love when you ever get in the office? Right. Um, I think the best case that I get is when somebody comes in, um, they don't realize that they need glasses and then you put the frotter, right? And right, they look through like the frotter for the first time and they're like, whoa, this is how everybody sees? Like, how have I not been seeing like this forever? Um, and so that's almost like the most rewarding part of the job for me, right? Because um, there's like this sense of really helping people and right, self-actualization there. You're providing care for somebody and treating that person with the respect that they need. Um, and I think that's like super important for optometrists, right? You need to be able to give somebody that compassion and the respect that they need. Um, and I think that's the best part of my job. That's, that's what I love about it for sure. Yeah, that was, that was me. First time I went to the eye doctor, I was like, Oh, I'm just here for a routine. And then he put the foraptor in front of me and I was like, Nope, can't see that. Can't see that until he put my prescription in front of me. And that's when I was like, wow, I have really been missing out on everything. Um, so, right. It's almost like everybody's seeing in high def. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Earlier, you mentioned the different scopes of practice um, between the states and Canada. Um, so being that you worked in the two different offices, do you think that you get to do more of what you want um, in the states? And how is that different? Would you ever consider um, practicing in the states? Um, and how are those differences affecting your impact and role as an optometrist? Right. So I'll, I'll start by talking about like my state's experience. Um, I worked for like a major corporation in the States. Um, and so that was great as like a first time job. Um, right out of school, they made the transition between school and work super easy. Um, I think what really hit me though was it was like the mission statement was to help out people who don't have as much to pay for glasses and stuff, right? And so a lot of patients that come in, um, they are kind of like, it's a high volume place essentially. And mm -hmm. so you're seeing a lot of patients, but you're not doing as much as you'd like to, right? Um, and I think that kind of hit me like within a few months, right? Because I'd end up seeing stuff where I'm like, I could definitely do this and take care of this, but one, we don't have the equipment here for it. And two, I don't have the time to do it, right? Cause it's high volume. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, maybe this isn't for me. Cause I just spent four years in optometry school and worked hard, right? To learn all this material. And now I'm kind of not using it. And I got to a point where I'm like, whoa I just learned this for boards like a year ago. Like, how did I forget this, right? Um, but it's like one of those things where if you don't use it you lose it. Mm -hmm. And so I just decided, hey, it's probably better that I start looking into different jobs. And so at first, honestly, I was looking to different jobs in the States, right? Because, I mean, you go to school in the States, you have to pay for the loan that you take out from Canada in US dollars, which is higher, worth more than Canadian dollars. And so it's just faster to pay that off if you work in the States. Um, and so 
I was looking for jobs in the States and then I realized, well, I could go back home and I could find a job where I'm doing kind of what I want to do. And even if I get paid a little bit less to do it, I'd rather just be right doing more and using the education that I have to right help out people versus kind of limit that education so that right um, it fits with like whatever corporation I'm working for. Um, and so I ended up moving back to Canada. And so the difference in Canada, which is what I think is great, um, is most patients are covered, right? And well, so like great. what I mean, yeah. right. And so what I mean by that is like, so Canada covers for any eye issues or if you're over 65 or under 18 or if you're diabetic. Mm -hmm. And so that in and of itself is like, maybe a little over half of the population in general. And then everybody else, like if you're working, for the most part, you have insurance, right? And the reason for that is Canada covers for healthcare, right? For like general, like primary care healthcare. So like hospital, or if you wanna see a doctor. And so your work just gives you the other stuff, right? The dental and the eyeglass stuff. And so for the most part, everybody's covered. And so you never really have to worry about how to treat people and insurance-based stuff for the most part, um, which is honestly part of the job or that part of the job is maybe what I hated the most in the States, mm -hmm. right? Because you'd get a lot of cases where somebody hasn't seen an eye doctor in forever because they can't afford to do so, but they have like major ocular disease and then you have to refer them out, but they can't pay for the treatment. Right. So it was like super depressing, right? Seeing that, cause you can't really do much. The most you can do is maybe like try to get them on some social program. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the time, like by the time they're able to get on something like that, it's like three or four months in and this is like a surgery that needed to be done in a week or two. And so that, that was kind of right the type of thing where I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. Maybe it's probably just better to, for me to move back based on, right, just what I've been used to for years, right? I've been used to the Canadian healthcare system for years, so. Yeah, I know it's really interesting um, to see like an outsider perspective on our, our healthcare system. Um, and I think that's just very eye-opening to uh, optometry students and the listeners, um, you know, just kind of know the difference between practicing in Canada and the states and you know this might just be your experience but people with the same morals and just same motives um in their career aspirations they may find that they're you know more restricted in the states um versus canada um so that's a good point that you brought up um so a couple more questions here i'm sure you've worked with geriatric as well as pediatric patients um, so do you have any kind of techniques how um, you handle pediatric patients? Do those exams differ? Um, that being, you know, in the um, type of testing that you do, the different techniques that you utilize, and also the length of time. Right, absolutely. Um, I would say the length of time is kind of about the same for both kids and geriatrics, but that's only because kids tend to answer a little bit faster. Right, because you definitely need to do the same amount of, or you do more tests for kids. You just are going to get faster responses. So I'd say the time is about the same. Um, but when it comes to like the actual exams, um, 
for kids, you're doing way more because you're testing like um, binocular vision stuff, right? Sometimes you do some water integration stuff if you're looking for something specific. Um, and depending on like how deep you want to go into the testing for the kid, you could go into some, like sometimes exams can go like an hour and a half, depending on how much time you want to spend um, with that kid and if they have any certain issues. Um, but I would say the hardest thing about kids would be, and you may have heard this for sure, and I'm sure you can imagine it's, it's dilating kids, right? Just getting those eye drops in. Sometimes like, so I remember in school, we had these like dilating drops that were spray bottles. And so that, that used to like really make me laugh because what you do is you'd essentially like play peekaboo with the kid and then like have these spray bottles behind your back and then suddenly just like spray them in the eyes <laughs> with spray bottles, um, which I can imagine is super traumatizing for a kid. Um, but I would say the biggest thing with anybody, and I've like harped on this a few times now, but um, just giving everybody that like sense of respect, right? Even if they're like a kid, right? Just treat them like, like a patient, like understand that they're a kid, of course, but also treat them with respect for sure. Yeah, and I think also um, meeting them where they're at, um, especially if they're, you know, seeing an eye doctor for the first time, you definitely want to make sure that they have a somewhat pleasant experience. It's not obviously going to be best experience I've ever had in their lives, especially if they're a kid. Um, but you want to create that, you know, positive environment for them. So when they come back, they know that you're, you know, helping them. You're not putting those drops in just to, you know, put them in pain or anything. Absolutely. Um, I also like take the time out to so pre-COVID, I would actually have, um, if the kid came with their parents, I would have the parents sit on the exam chair and have the kid look through the slit lamp so they could see how the, like what exactly the doctor's looking at. And I think that really helps too. Oh, that is awesome. I wish my doctor did that. <laughs> All righty. So um, you've only been working for three years, going on three years now, right? Yeah, I'm on my third year now. Okay, so between your externships, seeing patients um, in the clinic and working, um, you obviously have a lot of, you know, gratifying patient encounters. Can you share with us just the most gratifying patient encounter that you've had so far? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think the big, most gratifying one, or let's say most gratifying and most interesting. Um, it was at the VA in Orlando. I was like doing my rotations there. And I had one of the veterans come in. They had been like seen, I think it was like a decade and a half prior. So they haven't been to the eye doctor in years. But the reason why is they see great. So they're seeing 2020. They only need reading glasses um, for up close and that's it. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of never felt the need to come in. And for whatever reason, right, that patient decided to come in that day. And I remember like everything was great, right? No issues. And then I looked at the back of his eye and he had like this massive lesion and it looked like a choroidomelanoma. Um, and so for your listeners, that's essentially like cancer in the eye, mm -hmm. right? But it was like outside of any area where it could affect his vision directly for now, but it was big enough where it was definitely urgent to be taken, like it needed to be taken care of immediately. I remember walking to my 
like I saw it obviously like freaked out but I like didn't freak out in front of the patient obviously and then walked to my resident or the resident doctor and I told them hey like this is what I see they came and looked at it um and I think the hardest part was watching that conversation right um definitely a big learning experience right because um giving bad news to anybody is definitely hard um and it's you know a coronal melanoma is one of those things where it's probably unlikely that you'll see it in your career twice um but it was definitely important that i see how like I, a doctor that's been a doctor for years gives that type of um bad news to a patient and so we the doctor ended up telling him like hey right we need this like best case scenario here the best thing that we can do for you is remove your eye right now we have other options we can do like something called a radiation plaque mm -hmm. right but your best option is to just get rid of it and i'm sure that was hard for the patient yeah. because i mean you can imagine you're seeing great you're walking in like you think everything's going to be fine and they're telling you hey we need to get rid of this eye um but the gratifying thing afterward was after like the patient removed their eye and they ended up getting that prosthetic they realized or like i think eventually like after talking to a whole bunch of people they understood that that needed to happen so that that cancer didn't spread elsewhere mm -hmm. and so we essentially saved that patient's life um and i thought that was really cool and they were definitely really grateful for it they ended up sending like gifts to the clinic and stuff and so that was really awesome that is awesome and definitely breaking um, bad news to any patient that's something that you don't get taught in school you just kind of have to figure it out as you go um, and i'm glad that was you know at the va right for sure i had some of the best doctors teaching me there that's awesome all righty so we're on our last question here um so just gonna a closing question so do you have any future aspirations to open up your own clinic what do you see in your future do you intend to um practice in canada do you see yourself moving elsewhere and what goes into making that a reality for you right um i definitely have thought about opening up my own place uh like my own optometry clinic where we would practice primary care optometry and maybe do some myopia control stuff um, some dry eye stuff uh the only real issue here in canada because that's most likely where i'd consider opening up uh, maybe around the toronto area is things are kind of on lockdown here and so i don't really know what it's like in the states right now but here patients kind of seem like they're a little bit scared to go see their eye doctor. So the number of patients that are going into their optometry clinics has definitely diminished. And so, right, that the timeline to try to figure out how long that's gonna be is hard to really dictate. And so it's hard to really know when to open up because you wouldn't wanna open up at a time where, right, patients aren't going in to see their eye doctor. Mm -hmm. It's not kind of the best like business move. Um, and so I definitely have thought about it. It's just trying to figure out the timing nowadays, right? It makes it, it's like an added level of difficulty to the whole thing. Um, but it is something that I have thought about. I have thought about moving to the States too. The only real problem is you can't move to the States and open up a business, mm -hmm. right? You'd have to like come on a work visa and then stay long enough that you end up getting a green card 
and then citizenship and then open up a business. Um, and so, right, that that's definitely a much longer route that mm-hmm. I haven't really considered just because I prefer to be in Toronto anyway. Awesome. All righty, Dr. Skander, thank you so much um, for taking the time to be our guest today. This was a very insightful episode and we love getting to know what it's like to practice optometry in Canada. Absolutely. So that is all for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to it and learn more about practicing in Canada. Make sure to follow the podcast Instagram at keepin.it.od and direct any collaboration inquiries to my email, keepinitodpodcast at hotmail.com. And I will see you right back here next week with a brand new episode about all the nitty gritty of private practice optometry. And as always, we will be keeping it OD. Thank you guys. Mm-hmm.